You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's RSA Conference podcast. Today, we'll be talking about how to manage security challenges stemming from disruptions in supply chains. This is Casey Zirkus, content strategist with RSA Conference. Listeners, I've been doing a lot of online shopping of late, and you probably have experienced some frustrations, as have I, with delays and deliveries. And while these disruptions in our supply chains as consumers can be annoying, they are real security challenges for organizations. Today, we're going to talk with two industry experts on how to manage the security challenges that stem from disruptions in supply chains. Jennifer and Bo, can you please take a moment to introduce yourselves? Sure. This is Jennifer Bisegli, CEO and founder of Enteros, which is a third-party supply chain risk management solution to automate due diligence, continuously discovering your third, fourth, and fifth-party relationships, and access the risk across five different areas of risk in your supply chain. And I'm Bo Woods. I'm a Cyber Safety Innovation Fellow with a think tank in D.C. called the Atlantic Council. Uh, I'm a volunteer with the Eye on the Cavalry Initiative uh, of Cybersecurity Researchers, uh, and I ran the Cyber Supply Chain Sandbox at the RSA Conference in San Francisco this year. Fantastic. Welcome, both of you, and thank you so much for being here. I know that schedules are complicated and everyone is super busy, so I really appreciate your taking the time not only to join us in this conversation, but to share your wisdom with the RSA Conference community. I wanted to start off with a question for both of you, and Bo, we'll start with you. What are some security challenges within the supply chain that have come to light in the past few months? Yeah, I think uh, one that's very recent is uh, there was a discovery of a new vulnerability in some Bluetooth stacks. Now, Bluetooth is, is present in practically everything uh, that we buy these days. Uh, especially things like mobile devices. Uh, and with a, a security vulnerability in that, it becomes really, really hard to have certainty that uh, the devices you're going to make or the devices you're going to use uh, are actually able to have the type of trust you want to place in it. So with that vulnerability, uh, obviously it becomes a, a potential issue when you're trying to do things like contact tracing for uh, COVID-19 susceptibility or to track infections across uh, a region or a country or a state. So when a vulnerability like that is discovered, it can set back projects like the COVID-19 tracking and tracing or like other projects until the vulnerability is eventually updated, hopefully through software, uh, but potentially uh, might need to be through hardware as some of the uh, bugs and processors uh, that are actually hardware vulnerabilities have shown over the last uh, couple of years. Interesting. And Jennifer, what have you been seeing in this pandemic-impacted world and its effect on supply chains? You know, it's been really interesting. And as I mentioned, uh, Interis has a pretty comprehensive definition of supply chain risk looking across five risk factors. So we look at everything from financial risk to operational risk, geographic um, governance risk, and then cyber being one of them. And um, when you think about kind of supply chain and the nexus of security, 
you know, they can actually come in all five areas. So we work both in the public and the private sectors. And we've seen, I can think of like four big ones. The first one is you all know that there's been a big spike in cyber criminal activity, um, including attacks on critical infrastructure, which has everybody really worried and not necessarily knowing how to stop them. The second's actually been the human or the labor aspect. And not just the fact that there weren't laborers around to actually keep the supply chain going, but even the hospitals and the doctors were overloaded. We didn't know how to fix it and get it back up online. The third is a lot of the players that are in the mix aren't necessarily all playing by the same rules, right? So you have cyber attacks coming despite global leaders calling for a hacking ceasefire. And now that the supply chain is broken in some areas and organizations are trying to figure out how to come back up online, they're very often using unvetted new suppliers that may not be playing to the same level of security roles. And then the last one is is kind of that final point again, is that all of this brings to the forefront a lot of unknown vulnerabilities. So you may know your organization's supply chain and security posture, but you don't necessarily know everybody that you're partnered with or who they're partnered with. And so those are the big four that seem to be coming across with our customers. I want to follow up on that, um, particularly because there's been a lot of conversation about AI and the promise of AI and a lot of the promises of what AI is capable and what it can solve for. So why hasn't AI solved for these new increased security challenges that you're seeing? So if I could go first, I think, you know, from our standpoint, you know, artificial intelligence or AI is is actually generally poorly understood. A lot of people see this as kind of like a magic bullet, like you're going to use artificial intelligence and it's going to solve world peace. But, you know, we've really reached the point personally where AI is tremendously useful at processing a lot of the large data sets that we're ingesting in our platform but not necessarily great at coming up with the creative solutions in real time that are needed in the dynamic world that we all live in. And that's where you hear about this human-AI partnership um, and the strong results that happen when that occurs. And so, so the way that we look at AI is that it can be extremely powerful force multiplier for supply chains, both getting us out of the current situation as well as making us much more resilient as we start moving forward. So I know you've been working on fulfilling critical PPE and ventilator needs in these past months. Can you share with us what that experience has been like for you? And are there any lessons you've learned that you've been able to then apply to software and security? Yeah, sure. So I've been working with a couple of groups that have been trying to get PPEs personal protective equipment, and ventilators out to hospitals and physicians um, in areas in, in kind of the hot spots for COVID-19. And it's my, my kind of first foray into uh, manufacturing and some of the physical supply chain logistics, uh, at, at least in this depth. And as I kind of look at some of the things that we're learning and running across, I think there's a lot that can translate into, into cybersecurity and back and forth. Um, you know, one of the issues that we encountered is is sometimes in getting devices, they're they're old. Maybe they've been sitting around in uh, somebody's basement or in a warehouse for a while, and some of the equipment is just non-functional. So it's kind of old and broken. The same way that you know, software can have vulnerabilities from old dependencies, old libraries uh, that you wouldn't suspect by looking at it. Um, 
or on first blush, but once you start actually digging into it, seeing what's in the box, as it were, uh, you find that some of the rubber may have dry rotted or some of the batteries may be out and no longer uh, able to work. Um, and secondly, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues with counterfeit parts, with, you know, things that are that are spurious. They're sold as N95 compatible masks, but in actuality, uh, it's, you know, something more like a coffee filter, um, which is definitely not N95 type material, type media. And uh, finally, you know, some of the, the disruptions with supply chains that may have partially broken or partially broken down during uh, the pandemic where you can't get a single critical supply or, you know, all you're left with is some of the old and broken supplies. Uh, and so you can't create a, a complete piece. So in trying to uh, manufacture ventilators, for instance, getting motors is really, really difficult for these specific uh, motors that you need to do high-quality ventilation. So you have to try and look at other components that you may be able to, to put in or you know, if you want to try and make a, a $300 ventilator instead of a $30,000 ventilator, you're pulling from a different set so you don't bottleneck the same set of components. Uh, but the quality would really, really suffer because they're not rated to run for days and days. They may be rated to run only for a couple of minutes or a couple of hours at a time. So, you know, I think there's a lot there that we can learn in, in the cybersecurity supply chains uh, to make sure that when we get devices or get things that the components they're made up of are well tested, that we know what they are, that if they're old and broken, we can update them or replace them with better, less uh, vulnerable, more secure alternatives. Um, and that when we look to kind of cut things out of the supply chain or reduce costs, that we're not uh, sacrificing quality in doing so. Jennifer, I just wanted to go back to you and ask about how organizations can manage these disruptions in supply chains. Like, we know that they're disrupted, but what does that mean for the organization and the day-to-day -day activities and how to manage and overcome those hurdles? Yeah, it's a really great question. I'm actually glad you asked because we're involved in a different, very different perspective than Bo is because we're asked a lot, can you help with the PP? situation. And the answer is really, it's, it's not easy, especially because, again, we're an artificial intelligence platform that uses publicly available information. And so, you know, you hear about what Bo just talked about. The only way to do this, in my opinion, is to get people involved and go back to brass tacks. I mean, there's so much happening that is literally being done by phone calls. And there's a lot of robbing Peter to pay Paul in the sub-tiers that if, depending on where you are in the supply chain, you wouldn't even have visibility into it. And so, um, so the only way to do this is really there's a, there's a level of trust and transparency that has happened in the supply chain over the last six to eight weeks that hasn't been there for many, many years. And it, it didn't happen right away, but it started to happen because organizations understood that they can't do it by themselves and they needed help both from their customers as far as um, committing to quantities and they needed it from their suppliers as far as committing to the inventories and materials. And that takes people. And so, so it's a really great question. And, and in my opinion, the only way to get out of this is go back to brass tacks and get people on the phone calling people, which nobody likes to hear. But my personal belief, and I've been in this industry for 30 years, is that if we can take some time over the next few weeks, months, 
to really focus on rebuilding your supply chain with actual knowledge and um, in partnership with your suppliers that we'll all be better off and we'll get out of this. It's so interesting because you bring up a really good point of the theme of our RSA conference this year and that, that human element. And so often we rely on technology to solve these problems of technology and forget about that need for human involvement, right? So I, I love what you said about going back and rebuilding with that level of human insight and human involvement that's so critical. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the need for and the value of having visibility into the software supply chain, which I know is a little bit different or a lot different from the angle that Jennifer comes at supply chains from. But I think it's so interesting to have the conversation across the sectors. Yeah, and I'd love to to just follow up on the point Jennifer made, which is getting that visibility can be really, really difficult. If you look at what happened when uh, NotPetya hit, particularly the Ukraine, doctors and nurses there uh, who had traditionally relied on uh, their computer systems to manage inventory, to know what supplies were at what facilities, um, when the computer systems were down, they were relying on phone calls, uh, doctor to doctor, nurse to nurse, going throughout these facilities. Um, In most of the traditional supply chains, manufacturing supply chains, logistics supply chains, you know, if you don't have the ability to see what's in your own inventory, um, then you're lost. You know, it's a lost art almost to know what these supply chains are like. Um, One of the interesting things is if you're looking at cyber supply chains or, uh, you know, software supply chains as parts of larger um, systems, we have the ability to have much greater tracking and tracing in those supply chains through you know, things like software bills of materials where you can see down to you know, uh, which underlying software packages exist uh, and you can track those fairly easily. There's some tools that will take binaries uh, and turn those into dependency lists with some degree of accuracy. They're not perfect, um, but we, we traditionally haven't used those tools even though they can be incredibly powerful at discovering flaws in the products that we use in our enterprises. And I think we're, we're kind of on the precipice of a change in that because there's so much more work right now looking at software supply chains, so much more capabilities in the form of uh, some of these emerging practices around software bill and materials that I think we're going to have a much, much better ability to really peer into the supply chains, at least in our technology, to see what potential pitfalls may exist. Uh, And so looking forward over the next five years, I think that uh, software supply chain will become a much more uh, solved problem than it is today. Not that it will be solved, but that there's going to be so much more capability that people can pull from uh, to really understand before they buy something where the vulnerabilities are, where the potential weaknesses are, what the total cost of ownership is going to be throughout its lifetime, uh, and how to protect themselves and their organizations, you know, having that visibility into what the supply chain of that particular piece of software or IoT device or medical device might be. This question is actually for both of you. And I know when we were preparing for this podcast today, Bo, you had said efficiency is often at odds with resilience in supply chain. I would love to hear from each of you about what that means for 
your industry within what it is that you do in your work with supply chain and maybe elaborate a little bit on that for our listeners. So let's start with you. Yeah. um, While it's not always the case that efficiency and resilience are at odds, they often are because efficiency tries to drive waste out of the equation. It tries to drive redundancy out Whereas resiliency prizes things like redundancy, uh, it prizes things like buffer times in between handoffs. And so I think as we've been driving through you know, business paradise to be more efficient uh, across the board in everything we do, uh, we lose a lot in terms of resiliency. And while no one could have predicted that 2020 was going to be the year when a pandemic actually struck us, uh, we've had pandemic planning exercises, particularly in the financial sector and other heavily regulated parts of our economy for a while, and yet we still have these breakdowns because we've essentially put some of our business priorities at odds with some of our societal priorities. That is, uh, you know, operational efficiency during normal times um, can't account for what needs to happen during extra normal times like we're living in right now. I think it's going to be interesting to see in the coming months and years how we rethink that relationship between resilience and efficiency so that we can better weather and better survive these types of global pandemics. Um, you know, we'll get through this, and in 10 years, we're going to be back to some form of normal. But what that will look like, I think, is uh, a lot more people thinking about uh, ensuring and ushering resilience of supply chains and societies, not just the kind of uh, sole focus or primary focus on efficiency that we've seen in the markets over the last uh, 30 to 50 years. I actually couldn't agree more. I think, again, having been around this uh, supply chain world for a long time, you know, years ago, we established supply chain as a cost, right? It was very metrics driven, focused on getting the right products to the right place at the right time. And so this has been around uh, the efficiency of the supply chain has been around um, as a dominant priority for decades. And you think about the, the years of just-in-time production or man, uh, vendor-managed inventory. So it was all around, you know, how do I cut out waste and how do I cut out costs? And, and as we talked about a moment ago, how do you cut out the humans to make this thing as automatic as possible? I, I think to Bo's point, um, going forward, companies are going to need to strike a better balance, right, focusing on sourcing for more resilient locations as well as suppliers, perhaps at the cost of efficiency. You know, I'm in a lot of conversations right now helping very, very large um, organizations set up two supply chains, one local and one global. And so so when these things happen, they have alternatives ready to roll at any point in time. And so I think that what used to be looked at as a cost, now organizations are really looking at it as building value and brand and showing their stakeholders and shareholders that we've learned, as Bo mentioned, um, and we cared and we purposely built with resiliency. And there'll be an efficiency trade-off based on the criticality of the components or the service or what have you, but it's really interesting at how those two things can happen at the same time. And as I mentioned, I very often see it in two different supply chains for the same organization. Jennifer, I want to shift gears a little bit and look at what we can expect moving forward and maybe hear from you about the kinds of policy changes we may see 
as a result of the current supply chain security challenges, particularly in thinking about, you know, what happens for organizations when their mission-critical services go down somewhere in their supply chain, and how can policies help to solve that moving forward? So, um, multiple questions in that one. I think that, one, to your last point, you're going to see a reprioritization or a new look at what's considered to be critical. And as I mentioned before, that may result in mandated local versus global supply chains for um, certain things that are deemed very critical to national security and to, to ongoing operations. So I think that's, that reprioritization of the criticality is a big deal. Um, I, I think you will see policy. And in, already here in the States, you saw there was the cyber security um, maturity certification, CMMC, that was coming out that you know, if you think about what's happening and the fact that so many suppliers are introducing new unvetted suppliers into their supply chain without understanding the vulnerability, it's just opening us up to a lot more cyber things. So I think you're going to see a lot more around the cyber policy. And then, you know, CISA, DHS just put out the CARES Act that are going to help organizations with additional supply chain analysis. So instead of relying on organizations to do it themselves, they're actually going to have centralized authorities that will help. We'll see how that works. I also think that for the first time in a long time that one of the policy changes within organizations you're going to see is that this conversation has become a board-level CEO conversation, and I dare to think that that's going to be like that for a bit of time to come. Um, you know, historically, supply, and again, years ago, it was the supply chain was a dirty warehouse with boxes and trucks and nobody paid attention to it. And, you know, now CEOs and CFOs and board organizations are understanding that this literally, it's stopping their business. And um, so I, I think there's a lot of policy, whether it be from a federal or national standpoint, as well as within the organization, that, that you'll see changes. Awesome. And, Bo, I didn't mean to leave you out of this particular question. If there's anything policy-related that you think we will see moving forward as it relates to the software supply chain. Yeah, no, I think uh, Jennifer's answer seems right. Um, I've talked with a handful of congressional staffers and folks from the FDA and DHS over the past uh, couple of weeks and couple of months, and their priority right now is to ensure that uh, the current crisis is dealt with as quickly as possible. And one of the things that I've been trying to make sure that they're also keeping their eyes on in my conversations, and it sounds like Jennifer has been too, is coming out of this, how do we ensure that what we do has a sustainability aspect to it? You know, resilience and sustainability can go hand in hand, uh, and I'm not necessarily just talking about environmental sustainability. I'm talking about how do you weather and survive something like this where there are large disruptions or, you know, thinking forward, maybe even localized disruptions, which I think uh, a lot of companies can deal with today. But if you have something where there's a disruption, a long-term disruption to something like uh, cloud services, how does that affect public services? Um, you know, when, when medical device makers or hospitals rely on cloud services for patient care or when cloud services are things that uh, help drive and power uh, oil and gas refining or energy sector, electric sector demand load balancing um, so I think uh, I think Jennifer's right. There is going to be a realignment of what is considered critical 
And I think that a lot of cloud services today are going to get lumped into the bucket of what is critical. Now, to what degree, I don't know. Whether that'll become a part of critical infrastructure and, and have the same government oversight as other critical infrastructure sectors do today, it's hard to say. But I do think that there will be a growing acknowledgement that we have to think differently about the way that we um, preserve trust in our economy, preserve resilience and, and sustainability in our way of life. It's really fascinating to me that both coming at the supply chain issue from two totally different places, right, with, you know, one particular to software and then the downline vendors that impact the organization, yet there is so much overlap in what each of you is saying about the issues that it creates, how to manage those issues, and the policies that will impact those issues. I would love to hear from each of you also about what development teams and what organizations should be keeping in mind as they plan to move forward, to reopen, to move toward this new normal. So let's start with you. Sure. I think uh, different organizations, different parts of the economy will open up at different rates and at different times. And I think that one of the things that people who are opening up should be paying attention to is what parts of your supply chain are coming back online and how are you able to adapt and overcome and maybe use some of that intelligence as a model for how to build a sustainable, reliable supply chain that can be robust against these types of disruptions that we've got. Uh, and also, uh, as you're starting back up, start taking a look more proactively at what's in the software that you've got, what's in the products that you're, you're buying, uh, as well as the products that you're manufacturing and selling, or services as well, so that you make sure that if something like this comes up again um, in the near future, whether it's a large-scale disruption like we're, we're seeing right now, whether it's smaller scale or more localized types of disruptions, which could come about through different types of cyber attacks uh, or other issues, um, that you're able to weather the next storm, right? Let's hopefully learn a lot from what's going on right now so that we don't have to repeat this in six months with uh, an attack against the chemical manufacturing plants that mean plastics aren't available for nine weeks at a time. So um, I'd, I'd like to start by actually, Casey, stepping back on your point about how close our alignment is. And if you think about it, that, you know, we should, right? Because we're forever, at least in my lifetime, um, software and hardware or software and um, suppliers of goods are, you know, totally interrelated. So before you got on the phone, you know, I'm doing this on my cell phone because I couldn't get an application working on my laptop to make me sound better, right? And that's just really very simple, but we are a technology-driven world, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And so I think to answer your question, there's three big things that, that we're focused on. One is eyes on the vulnerability, and, and Bo just listed many of those. Um, it could be anything from security to financial to geopolitical. What's the vulnerability based on how you operate, where you operate, and, and what are you going to do about it? Um, the second, as you start rebuilding the supply chain, your supply chain, you have to, as I mentioned before, look at the criticality of the suppliers and actually just look at all the suppliers to see the ones that were relevant before may not be as relevant later. If you think about how many businesses had to go to online distribution 
because they couldn't do physical anymore. So really looking at even the players that you played with eight weeks ago, ten weeks ago, the same ones that you need going forward. And then the last, and, and you both just mentioned this, is really to take the time to test and validate the new normal. It is going to be such a lumpy demand, um, a bunch of lumpy demand signals as things open up. It's going to make it really hard for customers to forecast, which ripples all the way through the supply chain, both from a hard goods as well as from a technology standpoint. So taking the time to be patient, as we talked about, keep the humans in the loop and really focus on that resiliency is really, and be patient, (laughs) is really going to be important. Yeah, and to your point, Jennifer, I, I would imagine that where the virus has sort of impacted in waves, the result will be that we're reopening in waves. And so there will be these ripples that impact these lumps of reopening, right, and the impact that that will have. It's really fascinating stuff. And this has definitely been, for me, a really interesting conversation. Um, before we wrap up, do either of you have any parting words for our listeners? I think there's some great tools that are available to look at supply chain risk. Some of those are uh, available through RSA. Uh, I know they took some of the work that we did at Supply Chain Sandbox this year and put some of those resources online. Um, If you go to supplychainsandbox.org, we have a list of some of the uh, capabilities uh, and some of the things we played with, including some online games, including some links to other resources uh, and um, One of those is a a game that we're actually working on developing with the DHS National Risk Management Center uh, in order to help organizations understand cyber supply chain risk and be able to apply that better. Uh, So go check that out, um, and you may find that there's some some fun things you can do even while you're uh, sitting on Zoom with your colleagues. I really didn't know we've come so far that they have games around resiliency and supply chain. That's actually interesting. (laughs) It's never been an exciting topic before. (laughs) Um, I I think there's three things for me, Casey. And and again, we've touched on a lot of them, but but the first is to leverage the board, the CEO, subject matter experts. There's lots of studies going on right now all about what's happening. How did it happen in the past? How did we get out of it in the past? Because nothing here is new. It's just, it's extreme. And it's gotten a new name. So leverage all of this, this, you know, think time and think power, if you will, to focus on resiliency and what that really means to you and your organizations in effort to not just get back up and running, but build the brand and build the value in the organization. Um, the second is really focusing, you know, as you're healing your organization, focus on the financial viability and the relevancy of your suppliers and business partners. And then the last is you and I spoke about in um, the really engage the people in and outside of your supply chain. The conversations we're having with our customers are simply not the same now as they were eight to 10 weeks ago pre-virus. And so, you know, in this post-virus world with all the lessons that we've learned, let's really hear them and learn from them because, again, it won't be the last time things are stopped for whatever it is. Maybe next time it's just simply weather. And wouldn't it be nice to know that you've already built the transparency and the resiliency in your supply chain so that you won't have a problem? That's great advice. And listeners, Bo is 100% correct. Uh, The work that he did for Sandbox at RSA Conference, as well as Jennifer's former presentations at RSA Conference, are available on our website at rsaconference.com, and they are resources that you can use 
at any time. So we encourage you to visit our website, not only for former content that our experts have shared with us, but the content that we're creating now and will continue to, to help you navigate these uncertain times. So I want to thank Bo and Jennifer again so much for sharing your wisdom and your time with us. I really appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone.